0: Welcome to Stories of Iceland. I have been reading and rereading the books of George R. R. Martin. You might know them as the source material for the television series Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. The books are called A Song of Ice and Fire. I keep finding layers of mysteries and hints in the text which I assume most people will never catch the first time they read the books. I don't know if all this makes this a literary masterpiece or a soap opera with dragons and proper foreshadowing. If you want to help me focus more of my energy towards this podcast, please support me on Patreon.com. That is Patreon.com slash Stories of Iceland. I'd like to thank all of my supporters, especially Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. Join them at patreon.com slash Iceland. There is extra material there. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is episode 47, The Dragon's Bane. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavík. Our hero truly has at least a thousand faces. From poems, sagas and ballads to pseudo-history, opera, film and heavy metal music. He is a king of numerous lands and peoples. Scholars of the past connected him, rather creatively, to the Germanic chieftain Arminus, who defeated the Romans in the Totoberg forest. Quinctilius Varus, where are my eagles? These are all good stories, but for Icelanders, he is the dragon slayer. There are still people today who say that the idea of the dragon is imprinted on humanity and can be found all over the world. This can only be done by using an extremely broad definition of the term, a definition so broad that the word dragon loses all meaning. The hero who slays a monster might be as close to a universal human tale as we can hope for. This story might not be imprinted on us from birth, Or a part of the collective unconscious but it obviously appeals to many maybe most if not all of us. Our hero is actually at the root of some theories of the universality of dragons and the idea that myths legends and folktales in all cultures must follow the same hero's journey. This hero's foe is explicitly called a dragon, though the text refers to him more frequently as a worm. Though our hero has been appropriated by some of the worst people in history, it is important to remember that he does not belong to them. Some elements of the story will likely seem familiar. It has become a part of popular culture, in large due to the influence of Tolkien, who knew it better than most. Even those writers who've never heard of this hero often unknowingly reference the story. He is often called Siegfried, and in the Faroe Islands they sing of Surdur, and you might even know him as Sigurd. In Iceland we call him Sigurdur Fabnispan. Even in the canon of old Norse literature, there is no definite story of Sigurdur, his deeds and life. We cannot fit the tales and poems together like puzzle pieces. For simplicity's sake, I will retell the story of Sigurdur as it is presented in Vǫlsunga saga, the saga of the Vǫlsungs. When reading an older text such as this, I have the privilege of pondering various interpretations and not having to decide on a definite meaning. The opposite is true when I'm retelling the story or translating it. I could go into an explanation of every ambiguous point of the tale, saying that this could mean this or that... But such tangents interrupt the flow of the story, so instead I will give my version of the tale, which is by no means a definite one and forms only a small part of a larger tale. I give you the tale of Sigurdur, the Bane of Fafnir. Sigurdur came from a line of heroes, his grandfather Völsungur's birth was brought about by an intervention from the Allfather Odin. Many years later a one-eyed stranger arrived in the hall of Völsungur, who was by then a king with children of his own. This man walked towards a large apple tree that grew within the hall and thrust the sword into its trunk. The stranger announced that whoever would remove the sword would prove by his actions that there was never a better sword than this. Many men tried to loosen the sword, but none managed it until Sigmundur, son of Ölsungur, pulled it out. After this, his life was marked by treachery, tragedy, and vengeance. When Sigmundur had grown old, he sought to marry Kjördis, a daughter of a certain king, in this he contended with another, King Lingvi. Curtis chose Sigmundur, but their life together was short. King Lingvi felt slighted, and with the help of his brothers, he gathered an army to take his vengeance. A battle was fought. Even though he was an old man, Sigmundur fought ferociously. It seemed he would be victorious until he faced a one-eyed man armed with a spear. Sigmundur swung his sword at the spear, but when the weapons clashed, the sword broke in two. The battle was soon lost, and the king was felled. As he lay dying, his wife Hjortis came to him. Sigmundur told her that she carried a son who would become a mighty hero. He also told her to give their son a sword, forged from the broken pieces of his own, and call it Gramur. Curtis fled from King Lingvi, and did indeed give birth to a son whom she named Sigurdr. Sigurdr was raised in the court of a friendly king. When the boy grew old enough, he was taught runes, languages, chess, and various truths, by a man called Reyn. When the boy neared Manhood, his tutor Rein encouraged Søder to ask the king for a horse of his own. The king allowed his ward to select any horse he wanted. As they went off to choose a horse, they met a long-bearded old man and asked his advice. He told them to drive the horses into a river. This they did. All of the horses, bar one, swam straight back up to the river bank. Sigurd chose the one who separated himself, a large beast but beautiful to look at, grey of hue. The long-bearded man told him that this horse was kin to Sleipnir, the horse of Odin. Sigurd decided to name him Grauni. Now Regin told his young pupil of a great hidden treasure. It is guarded by Fopnir, not far from here. You have never seen gold in such quantity. Sigurd replied that though he was young, he had heard of that worm, and it was supposed to be an evil and powerful beast. Rein told him that it was only the size of a lingworm, and goaded him by saying that one from the line of Völsungur should be brave enough to face such a challenge. Sigurd said that though he was from that line, he might not be imbued with the same greatness, and he was also barely more than a child. He asked Rain why he was so enthusiastic about killing this beast. Then Rain told him his story. He was the youngest of three sons. The oldest was Fáfnir, and the second Oturr. I was the least of my brothers, though I could make anything from iron, gold, or silver. My brother Otter was a great hunter, and could even shapeshift into an otter and catch fish from the river. This was a great boon for the household. Fapnir was the greatest of us, cruel and greedy. One day the gods Odin Lóki and Hainir came to a river bank where my brother slept in the guise of an otter. Loki killed him with a rock, then they skinned him and made a sack from his skin. They then came to our household and showed us their cats. When we saw what they had done, we took them hostage and told Loki that he had to go forth and fill the skin with gold to ransom his fellows. Loki went and captured the dwarf Andvari, and forced him to give up all his gold— Afterwards, as he was entering a stone, Andvari cursed the gold so it would bring death to its owners. Roki returned and paid the ransom with the stolen gold. As the guards were leaving, the Mischievous One told our father that the gold would be the death of both him and his sons. Then Fafnir killed my father and turned into a worm to guard the gold while I was forced to flee to the protection of the king. The gold is my patrimony, my brother's inheritance. After Rein had finished his tale, Sigurd told him that he would slay Fobnir, but added, You will need to forge a sword, because there is none such here that is equal to the task of slaying this mighty dragon. Rein replied that he would forge such a sword, trusting that it would be used to kill Fopnir. Reyn made a sword and gave it to Sigurd, who swung it at the anvil which shattered the sword. He cast the brand aside and told Reyn to forge the better one. So Reyn made a second sword which failed Sigurd's test, shattering on the anvil. Then the young man remarked that Reyn might not be true to his word any more than his brother. Seudur went to his mother and asked her if it was true that she had the broken pieces of his father's sword. Hjortis acknowledged this and gave the pieces to him and told him that he would no doubt go forth and earn a reputation. Seudur gave the metal pieces to Rain. The smith went about the forging and it seemed as if fire burned from the sword's edge. When he was finished, Rain said that he could not do any better. Sigurd took the sword and swung at the anvil and sliced it in two. Reyn said, I have made the sword. Now you go and meet Favmir. Sigurd replied, I will keep my word, but first I must avenge my father. The young man gathered the mighty army and went forth to the lands of King Lingwi. They met in battle, and Sigurd slew the king, his brothers, and most of their men. Soon after Sigurd returned home, he was visited by Reyn, who urged him to fulfill his promise. They went forth up the heath, where Fopnir guarded his gold. When they spotted the worm by a lake, it seemed to Sigurd that it was thirty fathoms long— "'I think you might have been untruthful when you said the dragon was the size of a lingworm.' Rein was unperturbed and explained his plan. Sigurdr was to dig a pit large enough for himself in the tracks that the worm had made crawling from his lair towards the lake. "'You shall wait in the hole for the monster to return. "'When it crawls over, you can kill it by stabbing it in the heart from underneath,' Sigurdr asked.' "'What will happen if I will be splattered with the worm's venom?' Rain replied dismissively, "'It does little to counsel you if you do not have the bravery of your kin.' "'Seordir rode forth and started digging a hole. "'A long-bearded old man came to him and asked what he was doing. "'The youth answered truthfully, but the old man said this was most unwise.' Instead, he should dig many pits in the path so the worm's venom might fall there and not upon Siodr. The man left, and Siodr took his advice and dug more pits. When the time came for Fopni's return, Siodr hid in a pit and waited. The worm snorted venom as he went forth, but Siodr kept calm. When the beast crawled over him, the lad thrust his sword under its left shoulder all the way to the hilt. Then he removed his sword and climbed out of the pit, covered in blood. The worm thrashed around as it realized it was dying. When Fabnir spotted Seor, the worm asked the young man who he was, who his father was, and how he could be so brave as to attack him. The young man replied, My family is unknown to all. My name is Noble Beast, and I have neither father nor mother, and I have always traveled alone. Fopnir answered, If you have neither mother nor father, then what wonder brought you forth into the world? Do not lie to me on my death day. Tell me your name. He replied, My name is Sivudr, and my father's was Sivudr. Fafnir asked, who goaded you into this task, or why did you let yourself be goaded? Didn't you know how fearsome I was? Seor replied, it was my hard mind that encouraged me in this task, but it was aided by a strong arm and a sharp sword. You know well that there are few powerful old men who are weaklings as you." Fabnir said, "'Though I know my words will anger you, "'I shall tell you that this gold of mine will bring you death, "'as it brought my death to me.'" Seurðr said, "'Every man would like to keep their wealth forever, "'but death comes for us all.'" Fobnir said, "'It is my brother Reyn who has caused me my death, "'and it makes me laugh that he will also be the cause of yours. "'It will go as he wants I bore a helm of terror over all people, as I lay on my brother's inheritance. I spat venom in all directions, and no one dared to approach me, and I feared no weapon. I never faced so many men that I could not overpower them. I was feared by all. Sjordur said, ''That helm of terror you speak of does not bring forth victory.'' And in the end, we all must face someone whose courage defeats us. Fobnir said, My counsel is that you mount that horse and ride as fast as you can. It is often the way that the one who has been struck at, is the one to take vengeance. Sigurdr said, I will not heed your counsel. I will ride to your lair and take with me the gold that belonged to your kin. Bobnir said, Then ride. You will find gold enough to last you your days, but it will also be the cause of your death. Sigurd said, I would ride home, leaving the treasure behind. If I thought by doing so I would gain immortality. But every great man desires wealth that will last him his days. Lie here in your death throes, Fopnir, and may hell take you. Thus perished fopnir After this, rein came and said, Hail, my lord, such a victory you have won by slaying Fopnir, whom no one else dared to face. It is a feat that will be remembered while the world still stands. Then Rain stood and looked at the scene for a long while, and then with great feeling said, You may have killed my brother, but I myself cannot be said to be innocent of this deed. As Siodor wiped the blood off his sword on the grass, he said, You were far away, hiding yourself so that you could see neither heaven nor earth. Rain said, This worm would have lasted long in its lair if you did not carry the sword I made with my own hands. Seudur said, When it comes to killing, a good heart is better than a sharp sword. Seudur cut out the worm's heart while Reyn drank its blood. Reyn said, Do me one service, one that means little to you. TAKE THAT HEART TO THE FIRE AND COOK IT SO I MAY EAT IT. SEURDR fried THE HEART UPON A STONE IN THE FIRE. WHEN THE JUICES STARTED FLOWING, HE TOUCHED IT TO KNOW IF IT WAS DONE. HE THEN LICKED HIS FINGER AND THUS CONSUMED A DROP OF THE WORM'S HEART BLOOD. HE SUDDENLY FOUND THAT HE COULD UNDERSTAND THE LANGUAGE OF BIRDS. HE COULD HEAR THEM SITTING IN A TREE ere you sit, Sigurdr, cooking the heart of Fopnir, you should eat it yourself and become wiser than any other man. The next said, There lies Saraiyin the and will deceive him who believes. Then the third said, Then he will chop off his head and not have to share the gold. The fourth one spoke, He would be wiser if he would do as you have said, and then rode to the lair of Fopnir. Take the gold and then ride up the mountain Hindarfjall, where Breinhildur sleeps. There he would gain much wisdom. If he were wise, he would take your counsel and think of his own needs, because I believe a wolf can be expected when I see the wolf's ears. Then spoke the fifth. He would not be wise if he spared this one after killing his brother. Then spoke the sixth. It would be clever to kill him, so he would not have to share the treasure. Then said Sigurdr, It will not come to pass that Reyn will be the cause of my death. Instead, he should join his brother's path. Then he swung the sword Gramur and cleaved off Reyn's head. Sigurdr ate more of Fáfnir's heart and kept the rest. Then he leapt on his horse and rode to the worm's lair, where he found gold and the helm of terror, among other treasures. Sigurd did as the birds had counseled him and rode up the mountain Hindarfjall. There he found the fortress of shields. When he entered, he saw a man in full armor sleeping. Sigurd removed the man's helm and saw that it was in fact a woman. Her armor seemed to have become stuck to her flesh, but Sigurdr managed to cut it loose, and then said, It seems to me that you have slept too long. She said, What is so powerful that it cut off my armor and ended my sleep? Or is this Sigurdr, son of Sigmundur, who has the helm of Fobnir and his bane in hand? Sigurdr replied, The one who did the deed is of the line of Völsungur and I have learned that you are the daughter of a rich king, and I have been told of your beauty and wisdom. Brynhildur told him the story of a battle between two kings. Odin had promised victory to her king's enemy, but she managed to kill him anyway. This angered the god who stabbed her with the sleeping thorn. He proclaimed that she would never have victory again, and would marry despite her vows to the contrary. Sigurdr asked her for greater wisdom. Brynhildr brought him beer and then spoke at length of hidden knowledge. She also spoke of his destiny and his death. She then told him that he still had a choice and he should weigh her words. Sigurdr replied, I will not flee, though you know my death. I was not born a coward. I want to love as long as we both shall live. At what point does a story end? In Norse legend and myth, we often follow the hero to his tragic end. The art of a happy ending might be to know when to stop. When our hero has defeated a dragon, one treasure, and saved the damsel from a, in this case, metaphorical, tower. He has the treasure, and we can assume it will only bring him good fortune. That is it for today. Thanks to Vita von Helstere, Emily Cooper, Emily Harper, Evan Williams, Jon Helgeson, and all my other supporters. And as always, special thanks to Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. I am Ole Gnesty Soljersson, and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 47, The Dragon's Bane.